turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews. Let's start with um, an introductory reading, one of several. I'd like to just read the whole book, but I, I, time may not allow, or not so much time, but our attention span may not allow. So let's let's cherry pick. Let's just let's just start with a kind of headline reading which will springboard us into other passages in Hebrews that we're going to read together. Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. Let's read this in unison. Ready? Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Father, thank you for taking the time to speak by your Holy Spirit into the minds of men through the hands of men. 31,000 verses all of which are given for uh, teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God, we pray now that by the power of your Spirit, you would break this bread of life to us in bite-sized chunks so we can assimilate it into our very being. So we can have within us the mind of Christ. And through that understanding, walk full of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen. I know I'm acting kind of normal and reserved, but I'm actually really, really fired up. Wonderful. About this and except there be some kind of miracle of God which he has been known to perform at times what's in my heart and in my mind concerning this may not get into the air but we'll give it a shot anyhow so I'll just keep trying to act as normal as possible even though I'm really really fired up and we'll trust the Lord for his help. So I mentioned in church the other day that I was reading the book of Hebrews. And I don't know if you've ever read the book of Hebrews. Hands up if you've read the book of Hebrews. Um, as you read through that book, you may have certain thoughts about the relevance of it or 
certain abstract references that it makes to uh, the Jewish people group, certain times and places and certain practices they had, and wondered to yourself, how could this possibly be relevant to me today? I mean, if I came along with a pair of scissors and chopped the book of Hebrews out of my Bible, would it really make any difference whatsoever? And the God that I believe in, the God that wrote this book, wouldn't put anything in here to me that wasn't necessary. In fact, there's already a bunch of stuff that's necessary that he didn't put in here, which he brings to us by his Holy Spirit. But if there's a bunch of stuff that was necessary that he didn't put in here, it must mean that everything in here must be necessary. Even though on first examination, um, it may not be immediately obvious. But I hope to um, make it a lot more obvious than it was. I wasn't sure what to call this, but I'm going to call it New Covenant Issues. Do you have New Covenant Issues? Would you say, if I asked you, that in any way, shape, or form, you were living under the Old Covenant? Now, as well-to-do modern-day Christians, all of us would emphatically deny that. But let's take a look. So, the presumption is that this book was written to... Uh, to Jews, as the title suggests, to persuade them or convince them either not to revert to Judaism or, if not that, at least not to Judaize the gospel, right? Which is synonymous with the title that I gave this message, Do We Have New Covenant Issues? Are we in any way, shape, or form Judaizing the gospel of Jesus Christ? The, the argument presented in the book of Hebrews is the absolute eclipsing superiority of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ, over the old covenant. Hence, the absolute confidence and faith. That's one chapter in Hebrews we always remember, right? Hebrews 11. The absolute eclipsing superiority of the work of Jesus Christ in this new covenant over the old covenant. Therefore, the absolute confidence and faith in him and his all-sufficient sacrifice and in his present ministry. Do you have confidence in the present ministry of Jesus Christ that is going on right now? Do we have confidence in the present ministry of Jesus Christ that's going on when we're being shaken to the core? You know, situations that tend to flare up of a day. Do we have confidence in the present ministry of Jesus Christ? And of course, in the book of Hebrews, it goes on to apply this to the, the fruit and the ways of life and the living that should flow from it. Um, in chapter 12 and 13. I am astounded 
at the greatness of God and his work. Astounded that he would institute for a few millennia a system that he didn't want. Isn't that what the word says? He says, sacrifices. Um, he said he didn't necessarily want. He would institute this system that um, sacrifices and offerings. He said, I would not, but a body you have prepared for me was the prophecy of Christ, the words of Christ spoken by the prophet. Um, it says in black and white somewhere which sacrifices I didn't want. That God would ordain that for a few millennia only to prepare the way for the thing that he really wanted. Get your mind around that. What does that tell you about the thing that he really wanted to do? It's got to be big, right? To send Christ to be our great high priest, to be the sacrifice, to be the mediator, and to open the door to a new and living way, that he would prepare for that for a couple of millennia. That's so out of the world, mind-boggling, That humanity would not and could not get it unless there was a faulty forerunner to compare it to. God's like, these guys are just not going to get this. Let's back up a couple of millennia and start this whole intricate. I mean, who would have thought when you're reading through the book of Leviticus, who would have thought that all the intricacy of that system was just to prepare the way for what was yet to come. A few and that whew, means that that which was yet to come was huge. But he was willing to put up with something inferior, something that he did not want, because it was a necessary preparation. And even after all that, the very people it was prepared for, after a couple of millennia of preparation, he knew that they would still miss it for a few more millennia until the times of the Gentiles came to an end. And finally, they were provoked to jealousy, and finally, they'll get it. Wow. It's even more mind-boggling. Get excited. This is the God that we serve. Amen. This is the God that we call upon. So I mentioned that I was reading Hebrews and I was wondering, hmm, kind of tempted to think, is this really relevant? Could this just be chopped out of my Bible? Let's look at a few of the explicitly stated purposes of the Holy Spirit and speaking the truths in this book, and we can judge for ourselves whether we think it's relevant. How about obtaining mercy and grace? Is that relevant? 
How about believing God, living in hope, and being encouraged? Is that relevant? Some people are like, well, being encouraged, that's kind of like an icing on the, take, on the top of the cake. If I can get a little bit of encouragement, fine. If I have to live in discouragement, we'll just live with that. It's not what God said. How about drawing closer to God and intimacy with God? Is that relevant? All these things that I'm listing are things, by the way, in Hebrews where it says, so that. So that we can draw near to God. So that we can serve Him. So that we can be greatly encouraged. Pretty relevant, right? So let's start to look through some of these categories. And uh, we'll see how we get on. Chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. So we read this together. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Now look at this verse 16 in particular. Let us therefore... Come boldly into the throne of grace. Other translations may say something like um, come with confidence or uh, what does this one say? Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that or so that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So that's what I said. Is that relevant? Is obtaining mercy relevant, important, and central to the Christian walk? I mean, we know that mercy is available, but this says obtain mercy. Just like in Hebrews chapter 11, we know that promises are given, but it's said by faith they obtained promises. Here we're talking about obtaining mercy. We all know this is like a byword and a buzzword of the Christian faith. But do we walk in mercy? Do we have new covenant issues? Or do we walk in mercy? Do you ever struggle with mercy? Remember, mercy is simply not getting the bad that you deserve. Do you struggle with not having to walk in some negative consequence that your mind tells you that you really deserve? Do you struggle with being too hard on yourself and others? 
me, 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 eye contact, eye contact. <laughs> Looking at audience, seeing the responses. Do you struggle with being too hard on yourself and others? The Word of God's telling us right here that something's there so that we may obtain mercy. Do you struggle with being too hard on yourself? Do you struggle with projecting your attitude towards yourself on God? That's pretty big right there. Oh boy. We're just getting right into the core issues here. Projecting your attitude on yourself and others on God. Is that how God thinks of you? How you think of yourself? Does God want us to drop the self-righteousness? That's what it is. When we struggle with mercy, we're dealing with self-righteousness. Getting what we deserve because we earned it, we're dutiful enough to get it when mercy has got nothing to do with that. Otherwise, it wouldn't be mercy. Does God want us to drop this self-righteousness and rely wholly upon Him for right living and to rely upon His all-sufficient finished sacrifice of Jesus Christ? I believe He does. He wants us to get over mercy issues and obtain and receive and walk in perpetual, instantaneous, infinite mercy because he paid for it through Jesus Christ. It cost him dearly. And he did it, not for our benefit, as it says in Ezekiel 36, but for his. So we're robbing God when we don't walk in mercy towards ourselves and others. We're, rob we're, we're, we're robbing God of what he paid for on the cross through Jesus Christ. No, I can't. No, I, I just can't be forgiven for this, at least for a month. Uh, I really messed up this time. And in order to be able to justify ever praying to God again, I'm going to scourge myself for a month, feel terrible about myself. And after that, I'll feel justified in talking to God again. And you think that's what Jesus died for? And your self-righteousness is so shattered because you messed up. I know what I'm saying here because I do the same things. You're like, where do these preachers get all these illustrations from? <laughs> themselves? <laughs> they got to walk around thinking about themselves all day. I'm, I'm kind of, whew. Somewhere in chapter 8, you know, it talks about this, this better new covenant, their sins and their lawless acts, he will remember no more. So if you were able to get saved the first time, when God forgave you of a lifetime of sin, and now that you actually want to do his will, 
but sometimes fall short of that because you have not yet learned Christ, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4. It doesn't say learned about Christ. It says learned Christ. I love that specific phraseology of one of the translations. Learned Christ himself. Learned a person. So we haven't quite learned Christ or the abiding in the Spirit, and therefore there are times when we're not able to, and we, f- we fall into some form of sin. So what are we going to do now? Jesus was able to save us and forgive us instantaneously on the day that they were saved of everything we'd ever done in the past. Is he not able to do the same again right now? Amen. And like in an instant, and it can be immediately after it as well, you don't have to wait any period of time. That's self-righteousness. That's robbing God of the covenant that he paid for in Jesus Christ because he wants you in his presence. If he didn't want you in his presence, he wouldn't have sent Jesus Christ to die for you and to pay for your sins. To be instantly forgiven, to whereby it's instantly forgotten because we love God. I'm not saying we're trying to love God or purposely rebellion on God. We're trying to walk with God. To be instantly forgiven, instantly forgotten, instantly cleansed, instantly our conscience is renewed. We don't have to have a guilty conscience. And we're now worthy to walk with him and continue any works that he's called us to. Amen. And you're going to be in a probation period until you can make it up to me. After that, I'll let you witness. After that, I'll let you be a deacon again or... I know there's a place for our credibility and reputation, stuff like that. Okay, regaining trust with human beings in the case of certain situations. But um, all those things aside, I'm just talking about our human tendencies now. I'm asking, do we have new covenant issues? The book of Hebrews is going to turn that out, isn't Isn't it? It's going to call us out. Are we really living and walking under the new covenant or the old? Um, Let us therefore. What is the therefore therefore? It's there because it's talking as it continually does in the book of Hebrews about the superiority of Jesus Christ compared to anything that's ever been seen or done. In this case, it references his high priestly ministry and that he can be touched with the feeling of a... He knows what it's like to be human and was tempted in every single thing we've ever been tempted in. Your most depraved thought, your most depraved and wicked moment that you would hesitate even to admit to another human being. He says, in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, in the light of the whole line of argument the book of Hebrews presents, so we better get it, because that's what the therefore is there for, come boldly unto the throne of grace with complete confidence and faith that we may obtain mercy and, if that wasn't enough, find grace to help in the time of need. Now, how much do we need that? Not only to be obtainers of mercy, but to find grace, the power to do that which of ourselves we cannot do, the favor of God to help us in a time of need. 
We all face daily impossibilities. I mean, if our goals are simply something less than what the Word of God calls us to, then it makes a lot of it possible. But if we're trying to live according to the Word of God, we face daily impossibilities. But right here it says, if we have a right view of the greatness of Jesus Christ, of his sacrifice, of his high priestly role, right now, we're going to be able to find grace to help in the time of need. How many times do we catch ourselves claiming in our minds that we believe that God can help us in every and all circumstance, but we really just wish he would help us in every and all circumstance? But apparently he's not. But right here it says, as we get a view of this work of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done, the greatness of it, we'll know that grace is ours. Let's look to chapter 6 now, verses 13 through 20. This, the line of argument in this paragraph, I've, I've really had a hard time following it over the years, but chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. So, so our first point that I just got done with, in case we weren't sure if Hebrews was relevant, was that in seeing the work of Jesus, the superiority of Jesus, the fullness of the new covenant, we may obtain mercy and, mercy and grace, just a little bit relevant. The second point from chapter 6, verses 13 through 20 is all about believing God, living in hope, and being mightily encouraged. Just a little bit relevant. It says there in verse 13, For God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he sweared by himself, saying, Surely blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And it doesn't quote it here in Hebrews, but if you look back to that passage in Genesis, God does actually use the words, I swear by myself. And so after he, Abraham, had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Remember that? It's one thing to have a promise, it's another thing to obtain it. <clears throat> For men swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. No more arguing, no more doubts. Like. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. We might have, and this says here, a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay a hold upon the hope set before us. Uh, another translation says um, that we might be, what does it say, greatly encouraged. That, it says here, God, verse 17, what does my amplified say? In his desire to show more convincingly, God wanted to get it through are thick spiritual skulls. That what he said was never going to change and that what he said was absolutely reliable. He not only spoke it, which should have been enough, but he, he swore an oath on it. And then it says in verse 18, um, oh, verse 18 says the word that at the beginning of verse 18, so that, 
and then it says we might have a strong consolation. In other words, it's God's will for us to be greatly encouraged. That's God's will. And that what we're seeing here is that through a right view of the covenant work of Jesus Christ and his role as mediator of the new covenant and the greatness of it compared to the old, we would be greatly encouraged, as it says right here. God says this is part of the purpose of what he wrote in Hebrews. So we could realize the certainty of it, so we could be greatly encouraged because guess what? An army without courage is useless. We have to have courage to live the Christian life. Because in the Christian life, we may not be facing bullets. We may. Some people are today. But we may not be facing bullets. But we have to deal with the core of our fears and insecurities as human beings. Over and over again. We have to be willing to face square on our greatest fears. Whether it be rejection by man. Whether it be failure. Fill in the blank for yourself. Whatever your wound is. Because God is the only perfect father. So all of us have got baggage. Because God, in his sense of humor, entrusted us to other human beings. Oh, cool, a human being. I'll let some other human beings look after them for 20 years. To prove to them that my redemption is more powerful than any disadvantage they could have received in their humanity. Just make an even greater point here. Uh, where was that with that? Courage, yeah, courage. We've got to have courage. It's not an option. So we need to be encouraged. If we are discouraged, that's not God's will. If we find ourselves discouraged over a situation, we've got some work to do. And that work is to get with Jesus. To talk to him about it. Amen. If necessary, say, God, this makes me mad. Okay, you're tempting me now. I'm going to have to be... <laughs> I'm going to have to be really transparent now. I'm on my porch the other day and I've got this scraper. I think I spoke to my small group about it last Sunday. Who was out in my office in my breakout group? Some of you were. So I'm scraping my front porch. I'm trying to get this lead-based paint off. Oh, yeah, and it's got a layer of carpet adhesive that thick on top. And um, i got to get it all off so we can repaint it, make it pretty for the wife. <laughs> so I do my lead-based paint test, and then I get my the best lead-based, super-safe, super-non-toxic, super-whatever-environmentally-friendly remover that's going to do all this for me. I'm going to paint it on. All of it's going to bubble up and fall off like melted cheese. And I'm going to walk down the road happily ever after. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, how wrong could you be? 
I think I've gone over every square inch, and this is like 400 square feet you're talking about here. Um, I think I did two passes just to try and get the glue up. And I think I also tried two different glue adhesives, went back and forth to Menards, and then Menards were out of stock, and then went back, then went back another day when they were in stock, and then I got a new one, changed it to a different one, came back and did it again. That was just taking the adhesive off, so my super non-toxic, lemon-based, environmentally friendly. <laughs> I'm like, I was like, hon, how, how do we get ourselves into these situations? Because I'm crazy. That's got to be it. <laughs> I'm nuts. Anybody else would just demolish it and build a new one? <laughs> Nail polish remover, that's a great idea. <laughs> Where did I, how did I, why am I talking about this? Um, I can't remember why I'm talking about this. Courage. Being honest with God, that's right. If you're discouraged, you better start talking to God about it. Even if that means standing on your porch and saying, God, I am angry. Now, don't laugh at me for admitting that I'm angry because anger right. is, comes from a sense of injustice, okay? <laughs> and we're, we're wired to look for justice because God's a God of justice. Right. But the thing is, the injustice that I was perceiving was that this is much harder than I wanted it to be. Therefore, it's not fair, God. <laughs> and now I want to cry. And I'm in absolute excruciating pain. I've got blisters all over my hands and my backs and my lower backs in total pain. But we've got to have courage. And if we are discouraged, we need to talk to God about it. Because as soon as we talk to God about things and even tell him and humiliate ourselves before God by admitting how unspiritual we really are, what we're really thinking and feeling right then, guess what? As soon as we speak it to God, the Holy Spirit's already working in our heart. But if we are discouraged about any situation, we got a little alarm bell going off. Hey, you got some work to do. Take a break. Talk to God. Don't continue in your path of self-sufficiency. We need God because we got to be encouraged. We got to be encouraged. And it says right here that by our, our correct view of this new covenant, God specifically wanted us not just to be encouraged, but to be greatly encouraged. It says in verse 18, uh, that we may have strong consolation, greatly encouraged. It says, here, it says here that we might have mighty indwelling strength and strong encouragement to grasp and hold fast the hope appointed for us and set before us. Now, what is that hope? Well, in the context of this passage, it's talking about Abraham, okay? This is where this passage really gets me because it talks here about um, God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise, okay? Who were the heirs of the promise given to Abraham? Because here he's using the word we, we, we. Well, he's talking to Jews, and um, he probably is a Jew, right? But guess what? We're in that we too. Would you know that we are heirs of the promise of Abraham? That God was going to multiply his seed? Therefore, when you pray for your loved ones and your family, you can, you can cite the promise to Abraham. 
Because it says in Romans that Abraham is the father of all who believe. So, so what it's saying here is that it's talking about this promise to Abraham that, he was going to, that God was going to multiply his seed. What is that? That is hope. That is one part of the hope that we live with a Christian, as Christian people that God is going to multiply his kingdom. That God not only saved us, but he's going to save the people that we care about and the people that we're trying to reach out to and build his kingdom. That's part of the hope. It's not all of the hope, but it's a, as part of the hope. And it's saying here that God wants us to be strongly encouraged, that we would know that he is absolutely and categorically going to do it. It says, we who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us, which hope we have is an anchor for the soul. It's an anchor to stop us falling into discouragement. But God wants us to have this strong view of the, the new covenant of Jesus Christ and his total, absolute, categorically superiority in every single department compared with the old, better than the sacrifice, better than the tabernacle that the high priest went into. The high priest only went once. Jesus Christ goes all the time every day and lives there in the true one that wasn't even fake because it's in heaven. The one on earth was just fake. Well, it wasn't fake, fake, but God says just copy it. It's just a copy of what's in heaven. Jesus Christ lives in heaven where he ever lives to make intercession for us. He's carrying on a present day, moment by moment, infinitely, universally amazing and eclipsing of everything that's ever come and ever been imagined, high priestly role. And all these fruits and these issues that we're talking about right now out of the book of Hebrews flow out of our vision of that. And in this example, to be believing God, to be mightily encouraged, and to be living in hope. Do you know that hope is an expectation of future improvement? That's what hope is. Is that whatever department you're believing God for, the best is yet to come. And we're to live in that hope until the day that we die. We are supposed to be so positive people that we're literally untouchable. And if you've ever prayed through the, the, the prayer journal of that lady from Anderson, I've referenced that before she came and spoke here. She made up this little prayer journal with all the scripture promises. If you look at the chapters and the categories of all the promises of God, and the she taught people to pray them past tense as if they were already done, and you take a few minutes to go through that little book, your mind will be so just... that You would say the only conclusion I can come to is that Christianity offers this all-encompassing victory in every possible and conceivable direction and issue of life that all humanity faces. And that is it. Um, that was Hebrews chapter 6, 13 through 20. <clears throat> chapter 7. So, so by embracing the truth that is, that is portrayed in this book, not only can we get a hold of mercy and living in mercy and drawing down grace and believing God and living in hope and being encouraged, but we'll also draw close to God. That's intimacy with God. If we have mercy issues... Uh, if we have guilt issues, mercy issues, worthiness issues, 
we're going to be held back from drawing close to God. We're going to be held back from unhesitatingly drawing God and speaking to God in every conceivable issue and circumstance of life. We're going to think twice about going to him. Just like the kid that's not quite sure what to think of his dad because he's kind of scared of his dad a little bit. Now, I know there needs to be a reverence fear of God. Don't get me wrong on that. But not the kind of fear that would say that in a childlike manner, under the blood of Jesus Christ, we can't talk to him, worship him and everything, involve him and everything. And he's interested enough in our lives to be involved in every conceivable circumstance, right? Um, but in chapter 7, it says, it starts on about this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, verse 1, who met Abraham. Uh, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. And now you're like, okay, this is getting really obscure. They're on this like weird mythological guy from the Old Testament. It was mentioned like once, and what's this all about? <clears throat> um, in chapter 7, verse 18, it says, for there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. Um, Amphite said, so a previous physical regulation and command is cancelled because of its weakness and its ineffectiveness and uselessness. Verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. That's what I was saying that one of the applications of this view of this new covenant of Jesus Christ is that we will draw close to God all the time, which is a central issue in our Christian life. He goes on to say, for as much as not without an oath was he made priest. Um, it says that the original priests, it says in verse 21, were made without an oath. They were, the original priests just became priests by their, by their descent. Jesus Christ became the high priest of the new covenant because God Almighty decreed it from the throne of God. And it's recorded in Psalm 110, and that's what it quotes here. Somewhere in here. There it is right there, verse 21. The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The old priesthood was not good enough Get that. The, the Jews in the Old Covenant um, time, they put their hope and confidence in their religious system. They put their hope and confidence in their priests, that their priests would represent them before God and their sacrifices and their sacrificial systems and their laws. They put hope and confidence in it. Even though it just said right there, it was useless. It was simply a foreshadowing of the better things to come, which now we have. Should we not put more hope in our high priest? Who it says here is a priest after the word of Melchizedek. Now the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, king of right living. And also he was the king of Salem, which means king of peace. It says it somewhere in here. I can't remember where those verses are. 
And it goes on to say at the end of chapter 7, <clears throat> by, by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better covenant. He is the guarantee of the new covenant. It's nice to have a guarantee, isn't it? When you buy a product, you want a guarantee. I want satisfaction guaranteed. If this doesn't work out, we get our money back, right? But this man, verse 24, because he continueth forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Verse 25, wherefore he is able... Everybody say able. able. I saw some preacher on YouTube doing that. that you can make people say things kind of apparently supposed to, I don't know, keep their attention or something. Everybody say able. able. Also to save them to the uttermost. God's able to save Nicky Farmer to the uttermost. Can you believe that? Amen. Who come unto God by him. Because we come to God by Jesus and he's so utterly tremendous. Like Melchizedek was the king of right living, Jesus, our great high priest, is the king of right living. And because we come to God through him, he's able to save us to the uttermost. Amen. Seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. We should take confidence in that. We should boast about that. We should believe that. For such a high priest became us. He was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than all the heavens. I'll just try and wrap up here somehow. It's hard to quit, isn't it? It's hard to stop going on about something that's endless. See, in... I was kind of astounded in, in chapter 8 when it says, um, uh, verse 1, we have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. Okay, wait a minute. He just talks there about some things I've already spoken about, about the superiority of Jesus and the sacrifice the blood he took, the tabernacle he went into, who he was, all that good stuff. But, um, oh yeah, verse 6 is what astounded me. But now he hath obtained a more excellent ministry. This is chapter 8, verse 6. By how much also he is a mediator of a better covenant that was established upon better promises. That astounds me that God would promise us anything. Like he already gave us this covenant, this, this mediation with him, this forgiveness of sins, this thing that was so much better than the old covenant. But then he gave us a book full of promises that he would do and fulfill in our life as we believe him, as we look to him for the establishment of his kingdom on earth. Um... <clears throat> Okay, the conclusion is this. Chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Let's stand together and read this together as our conclusion. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. So here in chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, he just kind of summarizes. He doesn't hit on exactly every point he's already made in all the detail, but he summarizes it so we can have this as our summary and conclusion. Are you ready? 19 through 25. Let's read it in unison. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. That's confidence. Confidence. By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. That's intimacy with God. That's intimacy and involvement with God and everything. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, 
having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Verse 23, just keep believing everything that you're standing on. Don't quit believing it. Hold on to it. Verse 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. God, we just give you thanksgiving and praise for the greatness of your tremendous work on our behalf. Past, present, right now, how you're working here on earth, you're working through the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is working in heaven on our behalf. And future, what we're yet to see, materialize, God. And it is our prayer that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit and the enlightenment of your word, would smash in each and every one of us any new covenant issues that we have so that we could be mightily encouraged, live close to you, and glorify your holy name. For your honor and glory and for your pleasure, because you paid for it, Amen. Thank you.